Well, good morning, Arbor. Good to see you. Hey, I don't know if you noticed this, uh, but over the last uh, six months, we've had uh, what has been called um, a little bit of a baby boom around here. Uh, there has been like 28 babies born in like 28 days. It's been, uh, it's been amazing. Um, and so um, I love babies, I truly do. And so um, I love seeing them out in the lobby. And so when it comes with babies is you have new babies, you have new parents as well. And so go out there and typically you'll ask parents, you know, hey, how's it going? And, you know, do you love being a dad or do you love being a mom? And with their mouth, they'll say, yes, it's amazing. It's the best thing ever. But with their eyes, right? They tell something completely different. There's this fear. There's this, this overwhelmed sleep deprivation that I don't know if I'm going to make it through this look in their eyes. I call it like new parent eyes, right? New parent eyes. I've had them. Maybe you've had them, but we've all seen them. And this is this, this feeling that you are overwhelmed, um, that you cannot take what is being thrown at you, that too much is being thrown at you. Uh, maybe it's pace. Maybe for you, it's pace. It's time that there's not enough time to get in the day to get enough things done. You wake up in the morning, it's go, go, go from the beginning. You, uh, you shove some food in your kid's mouth, then you shove them off to school, and then you jump in the car and you drive to work. And uh, you go as fast as you can, you get there, you do, uh, you do two people's jobs for one person's pay. Uh, you work, go, 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 till you have to go home. You go home and then you gotta do the quick turnaround, right? You got to grab your three kids and then you got to head them off. You got to take kid number one to karate. And then you got like 15 minutes to make a 20 minute drive across town to take kid number two to soccer. Uh, you, you somehow make it and then you realize I'm hungry. And so you stop at Chick-fil-A and you put kid number three inside of the play place so you could have one second to breathe. Right? And so you breathe, you then grab dinner, you head back home, you go back through your tracks, you grab kid number two from soccer, you grab kid number one from karate, you drive into home, you're feeling pretty good about yourself until you realize that you left kid number three in the play place at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> we've either done it or we've like, we've almost done it. We're overwhelmed, right? There's just too much or maybe for you it's finances, Maybe you have that feeling when you walk out, it's in the pit of your stomach when you walk out to the mailbox because you know that there has been more month than there has been money and whatever bill you're gonna open up inside, you know that you can't pay it. We are overwhelmed. It's marriage. You, you want a good marriage. You want a love, healthy, loving, healthy, caring relationship. Um, but honestly, like, because that would be awesome, but honestly, you just settle for a ceasefire, Right? That if we could just not argue for one day, that would be amazing. We are overwhelmed. Maybe it's comparison. You have a good friend. They post a picture on, on social media. You take a look of the meal that they have just prepared. It is from scratch, gluten-free, non-dairy, no-dye meal that's straight out of Pinterest. And you're eating Frosted Flakes for the third time that week. We are overwhelmed. And so today what I want to do is I want to talk about fear and, and the feeling of being overwhelmed by fear. And now for some of you, I know the moment I say that, you're like, ah, great. This doesn't apply to me today. This is awesome. Well, let me put it in some other words. Maybe it's not overwhelmed by fear. Maybe you don't walk around scared, but maybe you do walk around a little bit anxious or you walk around and you're overwhelmed by worry. Um, anxiety disorders, I don't know if you knew this, are the most common mental illness in the United States. 40 million Americans are affected by, by them, anxiety. And so we all have fears. 
We all have something that we're afraid of. When you were a kid, maybe you were scared of the dark. Uh, Maybe you're still scared of the dark. I know that the number two fear in the United States is death. That is the number two fear, which leads you to ask, what is the number one fear in the United States? Anybody know what it is? Public speaking. (laughs) So truly, if some of you would rather die than for me to walk down and hand this to you and say, can you take it from here? Right? I'll do it. (laughs) There we go. And so... We live with fears, right? We all have fears, um, but yet we've been told, we grew up believing that we should be fearless. In all the movies that we've seen, you've gotta be fearless. We, we, we emphasize and we uphold the fearless leader. You know, every childhood story, we gotta be fearless. Every like pep talk that you got from your dad or from your coach, gotta be fearless. There was a clothing brand in the 1990s, the mid-90s when I would wear it, and it said, no fear. It was super popular. Maybe you had one of those as well. Um, in 2008, uh, Taylor Swift came out with an album. Her, her, uh, her second album, it was a huge hit, entitled Fearless. We are led to believe that we are to be fearless. But honestly, I don't know if that's possible. I don't even think it's possible that we could be fearless. And even if we could, I don't think that we'd want to. And so let me explain just a little bit. Because we're adults, we're smart, you know, we get this. We get that some fear is healthy. Some fear is good. Fear has stopped you from doing some stupid things, right? Fear has kept you away from doing things that you know you shouldn't have done. Fear is a byproduct of something that is amazing. And this is what it is. Fear is a byproduct of an ability to remember the past and project the future. It is a very good thing that we've been given. It is a byproduct of our ability to remember the past and project the future. One of the greatest gifts that God has given us, truly, that he's given you, he's given me, he's given the human race, is the ability to remember details from our past. And then we can project those details, that information, into the future. Not all animals have the ability to do this. For example, This is a reason that some of you are looking forward to Thanksgiving is because you remember Thanksgivings, the last two Thanksgivings in the past, and you're looking forward to it. It's also the reason some of you are not looking forward to Thanksgiving because you remember the last two Thanksgivings and you don't want to do it again. And so our ability as humans to remember the past and then project that information into the future is a wonderful, wonderful thing. It's why we're able to progress as a race. It's why we're able to anticipate. It's why we're able to move forward. It's why we're able to plan. It's why we're able to hope, you guys. It's why we're able to dream. It's why we're able to wish. It's why we're able to use our imagination. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Unfortunately, that same ability to remember the past and then project into the future also enables us to fear. I have a son. His name's Montana. He's not quite one yet. He's crawling all over the place. This last week, I sat in the bed, sat him on the bed. I was excited. And what does Montana want to do? He wants to crawl. That's what he does. And so he crawls and he gets to the edge and he's going to go over the edge. He's not even slowing down. He's going right to the edge of the bed and he's going to go right off the edge. So what do I do as a good dad? I grab his leg and I pull him back. (laughs) And he doesn't hesitate. 
he continues crawling. He goes right back to the same spot, right to the edge, and I grab his leg and I pull him back. He starts to think that this is fun. What's awesome is I'm starting to think, if I didn't grab his leg, would he go over? So, <laughs> he got all the way to the edge, and I'm like, is this going to happen? And he starts to go over, and I grab him, all right? I'm a good parent. But the reason he has no fear of falling over the edge is because he hasn't fallen over the edge. Okay? <laughs> because I haven't, if I were to let him and he were to smash, he would have something to remember to project into his future so that the next time he gets to the edge, he may not dive off the side. He might think twice. It is a healthy fear. It's a healthy fear. And here's the deal. Even if we could, I'm not saying that we can even if I could put a button up here and change that ability, I bet you none of us, no matter how overwhelmed you feel, no matter how much fear is inside of your life, none of us, I believe, would trade our ability to protect ourselves, to hope, to dream, to plan, to imagine, to wish. None of us would trade that in exchange for a fearless life. And so here's the question. And this is a big deal. Is there a way, if we can't be fearless, and even if we don't want to be fearless, is there a way to be fearless or to fearless? Is there a way to fearless? While it's impossible to be fearless, is it possible to fearless? I think it is. And so for the remainder of the time, what I'd like to do is I'd like to look at Jesus. I'd like to look at our leader, and I want to look at his examples, and I want to look at his words about what he has to say about fear. Now, the truth is, when it comes to Jesus, he's a little funny when it comes to fear and what he has to say. Because at first glance, when you first look at it, it's really not that helpful. It's truly not that helpful. In fact, it's a little bit confusing. But I would imagine if Jesus were here based upon the Gospels, and if we were to ask him the question, Jesus, what do you think about fear? That he would boil it down, he would summarize it into two words. He'd say, fear not, is what he would say. Or three words. He would say, don't be afraid. But he doesn't stop there, okay? And so he says more. In Matthew 10, he said, don't be afraid. Of those who can kill or can only kill the body. <laughs> Which you're like, uh, I'm like, well, that's like the whole thing, you know? <laughs> So you can, you can kill my body, that's fine. Just, I'll be fine, you know, it's, it's just a flesh wound. It's a, uh, oh, I love it, man, love it. Stop it, don't yell at me. Jesus said this, do not be afraid of those who can only kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid, okay, so we're supposed to be afraid of something. Be afraid of the one who can kill, who can destroy the body, and soul, or sorry, can destroy both the soul and the body in hell. All right? So we're supposed to be afraid of the one who can destroy both the soul and the body in hell, which we're like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. That is not helping. Because what you're supposed to say is you're supposed to say, fear not, because you're going to take care of it, and you're not going to allow any bad thing to happen to me. That is what you were supposed to say, Jesus. And yet what he is saying is he's saying bad things will happen. They are going to happen. I'm going to allow them to happen. But you are supposed to fear the someone who can destroy both your body and your soul. And so what is he talking about? And you guys, this is big. 
This is a big, big deal. And some of you know what I'm talking about because Jesus is taking us to a place where some of you have been. You have been there. You have lived it. You have experienced it where fear is no longer a factor. And so Jesus goes on. He says, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? In which they're like, yes. And we're like, I don't know, like, who knows, maybe. Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. So what's Jesus talking about? What's he saying? What he's doing is he's leading us to his bottom line, and his bottom line is this. It is that your heavenly father has the final say. Your heavenly father has the final say. He's saying your heavenly father has the final say. I'll say it one more time. Your heavenly father has the final say. So let's review. What Jesus is saying is he's saying that bad things are gonna happen. He's saying bad things are gonna happen, but don't be afraid. Bad things are gonna happen to good people. They might even happen to you. Don't be afraid because your heavenly father is the ultimate decision maker. Your heavenly father's will has sway. Your heavenly father truly has the final say. And so Jesus goes on and he says, and even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Jesus is not sugarcoating this. He is saying up front that things are going to be bad. There will be pain. There will be sorrow. There will be hurt. There will be death. After death, there will be grief. There are things that will overwhelm you, yet simultaneously, what he's saying is you don't have to be afraid. And is that even possible, you know? That's what he's saying. Bad things are going to happen. You don't need to be afraid. Is that possible? Now, Jesus like me, loves illustrations. And, uh, and he's given a couple of illustrations in the New Testament, um, what I would call visual aid boat rides, where he's taken his disciples out to give them a visual aid demonstration. And you can read these in the New Testament, but the one we're gonna read is found in Matthew 8, and it went like this. Then he, speaking of Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. <laughs> now for a Christian, this is like our worst nightmare, right? This is our, these are our dreams. And maybe you're here today and you're like, that is my life, right? I'm in trouble and Jesus is sleeping. I'm in trouble and God is taking a nap. That is just my life. There is a storm. There is a physical storm. There's a health storm. There's a job storm. There's a relationship storm, a financial storm, a family storm. There is a storm and Jesus is sleeping. I've been praying like crazy, hearing nothing, and Jesus is sleeping. Guys, this is so, so, so important, so important. Lean in on this one, because here's what I'm saying. When you feel like that, when you feel that distance, you need to know that you are not the first person to experience that. You are not the first person to experience the fact that they feel like Jesus is checked out. Because even Jesus' closest disciples, the ones that he loved the most, they experienced the same thing. Not theoretically, not because they were praying and they didn't hear anything, but Jesus was six feet away. 
and he's sleeping. They think they're dying. They think that they're going to drown. And Jesus is six feet away sleeping. What does that mean? It means when you feel this sense of distance from God, when you feel overwhelmed and you're wondering, where are you, Lord? When you feel like God is asleep at the wheel, it's okay. You know why it's okay? Because he was sleeping, but he still had control of everything that was happening. It's okay. And we're not the only one to feel this way. We're not the first one to feel overwhelmed. You are not alone when you feel that. And so Jesus was sleeping and the disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. He replied, you, which I would never want to hear this, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? To which we're like, Jesus, come on. Why are they afraid? I can tell you why you're afraid. Jesus, I can tell you why I'm afraid. Because your heavenly father has given us the ability to remember our and project it into the future. And we have been in storms before, and they have been scary, and things have gone bad. In fact, we know other fishermen who have been in storms, and it's flipped over their boat. They have died. We remember that from the past, and we are projecting it into this situation. We cannot help but do that. You designed us this way. So Jesus, the reason we are afraid is because you've given this, this ability, this wonderful ability, and as a result, we're fearful. We don't want to die. And so Jesus responded. It says he got up. Jesus got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves. And it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this? Here you go. Super. He is superman is what he is because he has the ability to control nature. That's who Jesus is. And we have this narrative, this amazing account that has been preserved for 2,000 years. It has been passed down from generation to generation to generation, from hand, from person to person to person, all the way into our hands. And tucked inside here is a point, a lesson. Tucked inside here is something that God wants us to know when it comes to fear, and it's this, is that in the midst of all the what that causes us to fear, there is a who that's saying, I want you to look at me. In the midst of all the what, the storms, the craziness that are going on, there is a who that wants you to look at him. And in the moment of the storm, the disciples focused. They were focused on a what was happening and that what caused them to fear. But Jesus wanted them to look at the who he was. And so when they shifted from their overwhelming circumstances to the question of what kind of man is this, who, things started to change. Because if there's anything that they should fear in that situation, it is not the storm, it's actually the who that can control the storm. And that's what they realized. What kind of man is this? Now here's what's interesting. The disciples they didn't, they didn't get it. In that moment, they didn't get it. And we know this is, uh, and I, I'm not trying to be critical because I'd probably do the same thing. I probably wouldn't get it either. 
uh, you know, but we, they're in this situation, and we know that they didn't get it is because later they were arrested. They were arrested, and they did not stand by their man. In fact, they fled. They ran. They lied. They denied. They disappeared. They ran away from Christ. But don't miss this, because this is what's amazing, is that a little while later, these same men that left Jesus literally hanging, you guys, left him hanging, they came back, they showed back up, and they weren't the same men. They were courageous, and they ran into the streets of Jerusalem, and they said, there is some miraculous news, Jesus is alive. They told everybody that, they told everybody that you killed him, God raised him, we saw him, say you're sorry. That's what they said. You killed him. We, God raised him. We saw him say you're sorry. They were risking their lives. They were in enemy territory. And it's nuts because they didn't even seem to care. They weren't even worried about it. They went from fearful to a place where they're like almost fearless. And so how is that even possible to have this huge change in the disciples, this monumental shift in who they were? I think it comes down to the fact that they finally came to term with the question in the boat. They finally came to terms with the question, who is this man? This is a man that is sent from God. And if there is anything or anyone that we should fear, it is him. It is him. And that's exactly what Jesus said. He said they were going to suffer, that they were going to experience loss, but yet somehow they were no longer afraid, and here's why, is because a someone replaced a something. You guys hear that? A someone replaced a something. This is how you become not fearless. This is how we begin to fear less. When their faith in a someone exceeded the fear of a something, fear began to lose its grip. When our faith in a someone, and that someone being Jesus, exceeds the overwhelming fear that we have in our circumstances of a something, that's when fear loses its death grip. That's when fear begins to lose its chokehold. When we replace a someone over a something. Now trust me, I get this. It's really... It's really easy to say this, but it's another thing entirely to live it out. But I have seen it lived out. I have seen it in the eyes of a little girl. It just happened to be my little girl. And I had a lot of conversations with my daughter. We recorded a lot of them on video, but there's only one conversation that when it was done, that I felt like I needed to write it immediately so that I didn't forget it. My wife did that all the time. I did it once. And this was that conversation when I was tucking her in late, late at night. Now, what you need to know is that at the time, if you don't know, my daughter was three and she was diagnosed with brain cancer. And at the time, she had lost her ability to, sleep, to, to talk. She couldn't talk. And, um, and there was no chance of survival. And so what we were simply doing is, you know, we were trying to spend as much quality time as possible. So tuck-ins were long, and tuck-ins were great, and we spent lots of time there. And, 
And the conversation went like this. I literally, I wrote it down. I asked her if, you're, if she was excited about going to heaven. And she couldn't talk. And, um, and she just, so she just nodded her head. Yes, I'm excited to going to heaven. She smiled. And then I asked her the question that I'd asked her a, a, a bunch of times, a lot of times. We'd ask this all the time. What is the first thing that you're going to do when you get to heaven? What is, what is the first thing that you want to do? And because, again, she couldn't talk, so she kind of reaches her arms around and, and hugs herself. And I said, you're gonna, you want to hug Jesus? And she, she nodded her head, yes. You want to cuddle with Jesus? Yes. And then I asked her, would you make me a promise? And she smiled and she said, I said, will you save me a seat? If you get there first, will you save me a seat in heaven? And she smiled and she nodded and she started to cry. And then I said, pinky promise, you know? And so she gave me a pinky promise and, and we sealed the deal. And at this point, I have, a, I have a seat in heaven. I don't know who's holding yours, but I got one. <laughs> And when we did that, at that point in the conversation, I lost it. I began to sob like, like I, I'm supposed to be strong in front of my daughter, and I just burst into tears. And so she pulls me in and gives me a hug. And here's why I wrote this stuff down is because, and I'm not done yet, but here's why I wrote it down. Because in her eyes, when I let go and I looked at her, there was a piece that I had never seen truly in another human before. This girl is three years old. She's on her deathbed. She's moving there, and she's not afraid. There is this inside her, I think, I don't know how to explain it. To explain it would be, it was a spiritual experience to be able to see in her eyes. I've seen her eyes many times, but there was just this confidence, like, I'm okay. How can you be okay in this situation? And so I asked her, because I noticed in her eyes, I asked her this question, which pertains to our talk. And I asked her if she was scared, because we had been talking just started talking about her going to heaven first. Are you scared? And this three-year-old shook her head and she said, no, I'm not scared. I'm not scared. And then I asked her, are you going to be okay? Right? I asked her if you're going to be okay and she smiled and nodded and what she did is she gave me two big thumbs up after that that she's going to be okay. And then I don't know why I said this in this moment. I really don't. I don't know why I said it. I felt like she could answer it for me for some reason. There's just something, God was present in that moment. And so I asked her, is daddy going to be okay? And then she hugged me and she released my neck and then she gave me the I love you simple. And I said, I love you too. She was three. And she did not live a fearless life. But in that moment, there was no fear when she was walking forward. The reason I think that's the case, because it doesn't seem logically possible, the reason I think that that is the case is like I've said here before, I felt like Jesus was meeting personally with my daughter prior to her passing. We have evidence of that on video and in conversations that we had had that Jesus was literally, we don't know if it was in her dreams or what it was. We think it might have been in her dreams but we felt like Jesus was meeting with her. And so instead of focusing on a something, she had a someone that she was leaning on. And she was three and she got it. A someone replaced the something which was death on her doorstep. 
That's amazing, you guys. It is amazing. I have seen it lived out firsthand. And from there, my daughter has taught me so much from walking through that experience. I've told you several times, shortly after that, I feared nothing. Truly, I didn't feel like I was afraid of things. And Garrett has asked me many times, he said, I want to learn what you have learned without walking through what what you've walked through. And the truth is, you guys, I don't know if that's possible. I really don't know if that is possible. But here's a few things that we learned when it comes to fear from what we have walked through. One is that brain cancer made everything that we worried about seem silly. Everything that we worried about before seemed silly. I worried about work. Truly, I, I worked it over like, I know it's so embarrassing to say, I literally thought, this was my thinking, I thought, man, I've worked so hard here, we've developed so many ministries, I'm going to build, a, I'm going to have a legacy here. I'm just going to keep going and I'll build a legacy. I, the dumbest thing in the world. The moment my daughter got the diagnosis, I didn't give a rip about work at all. I worried about my weight, Right? I was worried about if I was getting too big, those kind of things. Obviously, I don't care now, you can tell. <laughs> I worried about being rejected, that I wouldn't be enough for the people that I cared about. That's just silly. It's just silly. I worried about the Seahawks, you guys. <laughs> On a Sunday, I was a wreck if they were behind. <laughs> I mean... Brain cancer made everything that I used to worry about seem silly. God gave us the best gift, my wife and I, the best gift that we never asked for. It was perspective. He gave us a perspective to be able to see things through a lens. I don't know if I can give that to you. I don't think I can give that to you. God has to hand that to you. I can tell you, I'm not saying what you're worrying about is silly right now. But what we have described it as, our perspective is a heavenly perspective. Whatever is going on, we hold it up to heaven. And we say, does it hold weight? And typically, just about anything you hold up to eternity and to heaven with God becomes smaller. And that's the perspective that we should have when it comes to these things, these overwhelming things that come on us. We don't need to fear them. Another thing that we learned, my wife, she's, she's the one who said this. She says, when fear is overwhelming... Breathe. Just breathe. And simply do what's right in front of you. Do the next thing. Sometimes it says take it a day at a time. You've heard that expression, take it a day at a time. A day at a time sometimes is too long. It is a minute at a time. It is a breath at a time. It is, one, it is do whatever's in front of you. I'm going to walk down this hall. I mean, it literally is baby steps from what about Bob, right? Like baby steps down the hall, baby steps into the elevator, Do whatever is right in front of you, whatever you can do in that moment when when fear is overwhelming you. Just take the next thing, make that step, be faithful in that. Another thing that we learned is this, is that when fear starts creeping back in, we try and remind ourselves of the big picture, right? And fear does, I mentioned it a few weeks ago, at times it will find its way back into our life. In fact, last week, Montana got sick, he had a cold, a regular cold. But because of what has happened in our past, we projected into our future and we thought our son was going to die like with a regular cold because of the stress that we'd experienced in that situation. He was fine, 
right? But we stressed out about it in that moment. That's really where our brains went to. And what we have to do is we have to remind ourselves that even though Jesus died, or even though Jesus, Jesus did die, but even though Maggie died, Jesus had her in his hands all the way. And it's the same thing with all of our kids. We need to release them to him and say, you got them, we trust you. You can do a better job than we can. And so when fear starts creeping back up inside of us, we try to remind ourselves of the big heavenly perspective picture. We don't know who, we don't know the future, we don't know what's gonna happen, but we do know the someone who controls the future. And because when our faith in a someone exceeds our fear of a something, fear begins to lose its grip. The Apostle Paul said it this way, and then I'll close with this. He says, do not be anxious about anything. What's interesting is he's quoting, we're quoting this from the book of Philippians, where Paul actually spent time in jail in Philippi. And he's saying, do not be anxious about anything. Did you catch that? Something. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation or in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to someone. To someone. And the peace of God, not the peace of circumstance, not the peace of I've got enough money in the bank, not the peace of positive thinking, but the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. Another translation I heard was all human comprehension will guard your heart and your minds in a who? Christ Jesus. A someone. And like some of you, I have experienced that peace firsthand. And some of you truly, you could stand up and you could tell your story about the peace of God and how it came in and it overwhelmed your overwhelming circumstances because you've been there. You have been to that place where fear is not a factor. You understood that there is a someone who puts fear in its place. If my... If my daughter was here, which I really wish she was, if she were here, she would assure you today that this is very, very real. That peace that I saw in her eyes that passes all understanding, so much so that it knocked me back to record what we wrote, is offered to us. There is a peace that is beyond human comprehension that is given to us by a superman, a someone who could take your overwhelming situation, your overwhelming fears, your overwhelming storms, your overwhelming something, and he can put it into its place. And he, you guys, enables us to move from fearful to fearless. Let's pray.